It's the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. And basketball time in the cube. Love picks up Curry. The shoot around. Welcome back to the club. When we last recorded, the team had won eight in a row. Now they've lost four straight. A heartbreaker to the Clippers, 117 to 119. A gut punch from the Kings, 120 to 127. Worst of all, a soul-crushing loss to the Warriors, 101 to 106. And you know I hate losing to those guys. And now another gut punch. A loss to the Minnesota Timberwolves at home, 129 to 124. The only thing that had me feeling optimistic was reading Mitchell's comments after the Warriors game about personal responsibility and taking ownership for some of these defeats. But he missed the last game due to injury, and now we've lost four going into Milwaukee for a possible fifth loss on the horizon. What about you, Colin? Have you been shocked back into reality, brought back down to earth? Are you feeling hopeless, despondent, annoyed? Anyway, obviously I'm feeling those things, but should we have seen this coming? I'm definitely frustrated, Adam. I don't think the world is ending, but the team is not playing well. We predicted the West Coast road trip would be tough when the schedule was announced back in the summer, but the Cavs have played poorly in spots and the team needs to reckon with some of their bad habits. Still, I'm hopeful they will get back on track soon. Well, we have a lot to break down today given that we're covering four losses. (laughs) Didn't think I'd be saying that, but... The Cavs are showing their weaknesses, but they're also getting some horrible calls. Case in point, the refs admitted during the Warriors game that they flat-out missed Klay Thompson's illegal screen that set up a dagger three-pointer from Steph Curry. You know, it only sealed the win. No big deal. Uh, JB addressed his frustrations after the game for what felt like deja vu. Blown, missed, and or ridiculous calls. There were some questionable plays that happened down the stretch. Like Isaac Okoro was clearly hit by Clay Thompson on a moving screen, which gives up a three-point play. You know, there's no way to defend that. You got the best, one of the best players on the planet with the ball in his hands. And clearly, if you're allowed to set moving screens like that, he's going to have an advantage. It's time and time again that it keeps happening. And I'm yet to figure out what we can do and how we can solve it, but something's got to be done. So what can the Cavs do to overcome the whistle, or lack thereof? I feel like Dan Gilbert needs to start addressing this, or Kobe Altman, because I think this is getting really pathetic. And I don't know how JB isn't cursing and hasn't been thrown out of a game yet. That was one of the worst non-calls I have seen in my life as an NBA fan. First thing, Thompson just, he knows that he fouls Okoro. He knows that he basically was a hockey player on that, not even a screen, on that offensive foul. And the refs totally didn't care because they were not watching the game. He looked like he got away with murder. 
He was just like, yeah. uh, me, me, me. Oh, you're going to let yeah. that go? <laughs> and then, yeah, he couldn't believe He, he looked away. like, yeah, he looked like, you know, a defensive back in the NFL who, you know, pulls a guy, a receiver down before the ball even gets there. And that's what he did. So I think that Altman and Gilbert need to have a discussion with the league. Send a letter. They don't have to do it publicly. They don't have to, you know, make a big deal out of it. But they need to address this because this is getting really pathetic. It's bad enough when Garland last year was getting no calls against him going into the lane for how often he would drive into the lane. And that's still happening now. It's just going to keep getting worse. What are your thoughts? Well, aside from seeing red a lot of the time <laughs> when watching these games, it's it makes the game almost um, unwatchable. It makes it yeah. unenjoyable. I know that. You and I have been dissecting and watching basketball for 25, 30 years, and there are aspects to the game that have changed that I may not like, and I find that it makes the game a little less entertaining the worst development in my lifetime has been the officiating the last five ten years of watching these games get progressively worse and having to wonder when the whistle will either blow ridiculously or not at all and they should have a higher standard i understand it's a difficult job but they should have a higher standard set to the fact that when they interject in the game it better be for the right reasons. And they better really know the game inside and out, the rule calling inside and out, so that they know what to effectively call in the right moment. Yeah. You know, we said when Garland went down with his eye injury, why wasn't that a flagrant? There was no call at all. You know, And I've been watching through these first weeks of games, just about every team has been complaining how awful the officiating is. And I mm. wanted to bring up one thing, and I didn't look enough into this, but I just want to throw this out there. Maybe you have an answer for me. But what happened to the call center? Why don't they have the, that call center that looks at each play in the game from afar and can call down and say, hey, no, you got that wrong. Why don't they have something in the last two minutes where they would have called down and said, hey, you got that call wrong? I know that the call center still exists, but it's for challenged plays, and I don't even know if that's a play that was challengeable. I don't know when that changed. I think it changed a couple of years ago because there was an issue where games were getting elongated. The games were not ending in a timely manner because everything was going under review. At the same time, I think it was the, like the last two minutes, so maybe you do a minute and a half or you do something else where like in you speak to the call center where you have the call center immediately contact the refs in some capacity in some way and be like what are you doing that no you need to cleveland has the the side out cleveland has the ball no they can come they can come back a quarter later and say hey mm -hmm. your foot was on the line that's yeah. a two and adjust the points yeah they should have been able to, in real time, look at that play from afar and say, no, that's a foul by Clay Thompson, that you, you can't advance the ball, you didn't make your shot. That's their biggest hurdle to me, that at home, we can be better officiators than they can be. We can see the play call better than they can. And it, it changes the ability for you to trust the game 
trust that that you're investing all of this emotional time and energy in will this person get this call wrong or not or make a call at a, at a wrong time in the game that gives an unfair advantage to the other side as a Cavs fan I certainly feel like it usually goes against us I'm certain that it has yeah. gone our way at times but man do we have a bad streak usually we have been sounding the alarm since game one these guys mm-hmm. are not ready to officiate the game itself and it seems like week after week it's not getting any better and I agree with you I think Gilbert and others should have to band together and say, hey, you're across the board failing us. Something needs to change. Our guys are out there killing themselves, and you guys need to do a better job on your side of the ball. The team is on a four-game losing streak. They've been coming out slow, with poor defensive effort in the first and fourth quarters, and an inability to execute in the final minutes of the game. Which of these issues stands out to you the most and which games do you feel showed our biggest weaknesses at this stage of the season? For me, there are a lot of issues with these last four games. I did want to put out there, I actually thought that they played well against the Warriors and controlled some of that game in the first half at least. I still think this question applies to that game, but I actually thought that they performed admirably and did a pretty solid job against the Warriors. Overall, my biggest concern in all four games is the lack of defensive effort. I just think that they are in a situation where they're not dictating how the game is going when the ball is tipped. They are allowing the other team's offense to penetrate. They're allowing them to get off their actions clearly. They're allowing players to have success and get in a rhythm. And that is really frustrating. For me, when I was watching the Timberwolves game, D'Angelo Russell looked like he was shooting at the gym. He was open so often. We were not challenging him in any way. And From what I could tell, they didn't even try to trap him until the fourth quarter. So that was really annoying because this is known as a defensive-minded team and they were just letting a player walk all over them. Now, I talked about the Timberwolves game a lot, but I actually thought that the Kings game was the worst of all of these because you had all the starters playing And then they came out in the third quarter and were all of a sudden down by 15. Everything we had seen in all the games during the winning streak was that the Cavs would come out and do really well in the second half. And I knew that they were going to lose that game because all of a sudden they were down by 15 in the third. And they just looked shell-shocked. They looked lackadaisical. They weren't moving with any sense of urgency. There are a lot of other issues that you and I are going to break down, but that's kind of what I'm seeing initially is just the lack of effort on the defense of actually dictating the game with their defense. And I thought that the Kings game was their worst game in this stretch. Well, I can't argue with that, especially the Kings game part. Because I was going to point out that the Kings game stats are definitely the most atrocious when you look at the fact that we out-rebounded them 42-24. to Mm -hmm. And yet they had 30 assists to our 24 assists, 4 blocks to our 1, 12 steals to our 4, 9 turnovers to our 18. And that's been extremely consistent over these 4 games that we're averaging about 15 to 18 turnovers a game. 
We're being sloppy in our execution. Our shot selection is poor. Our defensive effort is poor, as you stated. Mm -hmm. We're getting out extremely slow. And really, the entire season, we have been. The entire season, the first half has been kind of not what you really want. And JB's Mm. had to have these big rallying speeches in the halftime to to get them to care about winning the game. And I saw a little bit, especially in the Minnesota Timberwolves game, enjoying themselves a little too much. And granted, they're playing a game and they do enjoy it. But I felt sick to my stomach that they were down 40 to 20 going into the second quarter. I would think that they'd feel sick to their stomachs too. And the fact that they had to have a 40-point quarter in the fourth quarter to have any kind of chance to win the game, I don't like those. Because, okay, yeah, you look at the stats after the fact and think, oh, it was a close game. We gave up 129 points to that team. And I don't care that we were shorthanded that night and we were missing certain people. Our defensive effort was non-existent. Carl Anthony Towns had 18 points in a quarter, something like that. You had Gobert 15, yeah, yeah. Russell 30, Edwards 10, Prince 19. I mean, gosh, I never wanted to trade Torian Prince, but man, did he prove it last night. At the end of the day, I think they had so many moments over these last four games to kind of prove their de- their deficiencies as a team, what they really are mm-hmm. going to have to work on this season and may even have to shore up through a trade or some other aspect. Right now, because Okoro is not stepping up the way that they envisioned him, he's really fallen off the face of the, of the earth. And then you've got <laughs> Garland, who sometimes seems like his eye's not bothering, and other times it feels like maybe he injured both eyes and he can't even see where the hoop is. Yeah. You know, we're, we'll get into that about their statistics into question two, but what else can we say over these last several games? Obviously, with Mitchell being out against the Timberwolves, I didn't expect them to have an easy time. I didn't think that they'd get blown out. I was reading prior to that game that he was talking about, Mitchell was talking about how Curry had a five-point swing in the final seconds of the Warriors game. He also talked about it being more than just scoring, that it's his job to execute down the stretch and help his guys make the right plays. Given that he's averaging almost 32 points on 52% shooting and 43% from three, how can we expect him to elevate the team any further? For me, I think that Mitchell still has some defensive issues. That's the only side of the ball I would say is lacking at times. And it's just communication. It's understanding where he's supposed to be versus the other guards. I don't know how much I put that on him. He's going to take that on his shoulders because he is the more veteran player. But not on this squad, not understanding this defense. Other guys on the court should be communicating with him even more to make sure that he is in the right place. We've seen him in that eight-game winning streak. We've seen him throughout the season, but there are times when he does take over quarters defensively at times because his wingspan is so large, he's able to cut off passing lanes he's able to get steals or deflections so i would say that that is where i would quote unquote expect that but i don't know how much more you can expect out of this guy it's the rest of the team that needs to rise up around him because the rest of this team was a top three team last year essentially without him there are other players who are underperforming much more than mitchell so i would put the onus more on the rest of the squad and maybe even JB a little bit more than him 
Is that a cop-out or am I, <laughs> am I giving Donovan a pass? That's why I asked you the way that I did. I love that he's saying that he needs to do more because that's what a leader says, that it's, it's yeah. on me. I've got to be able to help my guys get into the right positions for us to, to win the game. It's not just about scoring. It's about efficiency of shots and mm -hmm. you know execution of passing and being in the right spots defensively, which you mentioned. And I love that he brought up that, hey, man, I, I allowed a five-point swing from Curry's easy layup and from a missed defensive switch. It doesn't matter that they didn't make the call on, on the screen with the Kuro against mm -hmm. Thompson. I still needed to be there. With that kind of sense of responsibility and ownership, we're going to go places with this guy. Mm. The thing, though, that's true is that we're seeing kind of the glaring issue that we knew existed with Sexton and Garland, which is that a small backcourt, no matter how much firepower they have, makes them weaker defensively in the NBA. And Laurie mm. Markinen at the three did give us some support with our rebounding and with some of our rotations on the court. So I'm just kind of seeing our struggles there because Okuro hasn't been as advertised. I'm surprised we haven't been using Isaiah Mobley really at all. We're just kind of missing a couple of pieces, either a wing or another tall guy. And that to me is the reason why we're struggling. It's not because Mitchell isn't doing what he needs to be doing. I appreciate that he's pointing out where he can improve, but really he's approved statistically across the board coming to this team. And if he keeps that up, he's going to be in the MVP race. So right now it's somebody, Darius Garland should be listening to those kinds of comments and figuring out how he can do more. And obviously against the mm. T-Wolves, he had 52 points. It was too little too late, but we'll get into that next. Even though they both had better games against the Timberwolves, Darius Garland and Isaac Okoro have been struggling on offensively. Based on their numbers to this point, what can they do to be more effective moving forward? To be completely frank to our audience, we were going to record this episode before the T-Wolves game. And the stats that I had down for these two gentlemen were abysmal. And I know, Gar <laughs> I know Garland almost lost an eye. So that's one thing, you know, I'm still, I'm still just thankful he's playing at all. Uh, Akuro obviously yeah. makes my abysmal word a little more apt, which is sad. And I'm going to get into mm. that now. So when uh, looking at their stats after the Minnesota Timberwolves game, Garland is averaging 21.1 points on 39.3% shooting, 40.7% from three. 2.3 rebounds, 8.0 assists, and 1.4 seals. Some of that is good. His 52-point performance the other night helped him significantly in points. Prior Just to that, he was not past 20 a game. Also, his shooting percentage went up and his three-point percentage went up because of that game. Traditionally, he averages 44% from the field, 37.9% from three. So it's nice to see that that's up. But frankly, being touted as a guy that can make it from anywhere, I want to see him shooting more like Mitchell. Maybe I can't expect that right now, but 42, 43% should be his goal. And as far as Akuro, looking at his stats to start here, he's averaging 15.8 minutes. That's down from 29.7 minutes last season or overall for his career, I should say. 
2.6 points is 8.6 average for his career. Uh, that's a nightmare. You've got 33.3% uh, from the field instead of 44%. 7.1% from three. Yes, he finally made one in that game against the Timberwolves. But prior to that, he was 0% for the year. 1.5 rebounds instead of 2.9. 0.4 assists instead of 1.7. It goes on and on and on. Now, he's averaging 15, like I said, 15.8 minutes instead of almost 30. If he doesn't figure this out mm -hmm. soon... I don't know where mm -hmm. he's going to end up. If they're going to give him 5, 10, 15 minutes a game, and that's all they're going to get, because some nights he's getting six minutes out there, he's got to take any opportunity that's given to him. And at least in the Timberwolves game, he shot efficiently and played some decent defense. Overall, in these last four games, Garland is shooting 30 of 67. Okuro is shooting 4 of 10. And the Timberwolves game improved their numbers greatly, like I said, especially Akuro because of his lack of consistent minutes this season. So back to the question then. What can they do? Garland needs to put his head down and get back to work. I'm thinking that Garland and Mitchell need to get into the gym more together and the coaches need to figure out ways to highlight what they do both together and separately because they need to have more moments in the game where they come together and then split apart. Yeah. As far as Akuro is concerned, dude, pick your head up. You missed out on the opportunity to be the starter of the season, and it feels like you've got your tail between your legs ever since. You're not trusting the years you've been putting into your shot, and you're not even looking consistent on defense the way that you once did. We know you have the skills to hang with these people. You, we know that you belong in the NBA. You're a top five pick. And just a few years ago, even. So there's still time to correct this shift, but any minutes they give him, he's got to take advantage of it now because there's just too many options on this team to kind of crowd him out. I agree with you with Darius. I think he and Donovan need to work together more during the practices and the coaching staff need to try to, try to establish certain looks or actions at the beginning of the game to maybe get Darius more comfortable, make sure that both guys are engaged right away in some capacity. One thing that was awesome to see in the Minnesota game was Darius was shooting it from all over the place. It's a little bit the chicken or the egg where I, I agree that Okoro has struggled beyond our expectations. And I kind of feel like he's got 10 more games and he might not even be in the rotation. Darius can make it from 35, 36 feet away. And that opens up the floor even more. That means that that player that's sagging off of Isaac is sagging off of him even more. So the coaching staff, what I was envisioning on some level was they would have Isaac cut a little bit more. They would have him go through screens a little bit more and Darius would be shooting it from out of the gym essentially that hasn't happened yet really it happened in the Minnesota game it helped a little bit it helped the rest of the team but really in that game it was just getting Darius the ball so that he could be the primary offense to reiterate what you said with Isaac he's on a super short leash there are players in the NBA right now that can contribute that are free agents more than Isaac can right now. I predicted that he would have more starting minutes than Lebert. That's not going to happen at this rate. It really, it's a shame because his lack of confidence is palpable. It's, it's like the entire 
arena gets clenched when Isaac gets the ball. He looks like Anthony Bennett out there. Yeah, exactly. I've always said this about Isaac is Isaac and Lamar Stevens need to hang out all the time and he needs to pick up the jumper and the little drive to the basket deal that Lamar does. He needs to have those two other shots in his back pocket. Otherwise, he's got 10 more games and that's it, I think, for the rest of... For being a mainstay in the rotation. I think he'll still be a Cavalier, but being a mainstay in the rotation, he'll have to drop off. Kevin Love was saying that he feels it's his responsibility this season to help Mitchell and Garland come together, find the best partnership that they can on the court, that kind of the growing pains that he saw with Kyrie Irving and LeBron James, he's now hoping to take some of the lessons learned there and help these guys along. Frankly, you know, those egos are not the same. Yeah, (laughs) just just a bit different. (laughs) And it already seems like Mitchell and Garland get along, so, you know, they just need more time together. But it is good to know that from a veteran's standpoint and from what Love is hoping to really achieve every day, he's seeing that as kind of primary goal number one. The final seconds. As we mentioned at the top, the Cavs are headed to Milwaukee to play at the Bucks, who are currently the best team in the NBA. Are you expecting a loss or a win? Explain your reasoning. I'm expecting a loss. And this is because they lost their last game, the Milwaukee Bucks did. So I would just expect that because they're at home, which they currently have a 7-0 and record there, and we're coming in on a, or an 0-4 losing streak, it just isn't the right time for us to snap what we're going through. I am optimistic that we're going to come out and play a tough game. We're going to stay in it. I'm hoping that we're going to show why we're considered a top five defense in the league and that we're going to keep them respectable and not see another possible 130-point game. But um, they're the Milwaukee Bucks. They're, they just won a championship not that long ago. They're, they're, they're clearly still one of the best teams in the league. They came out red hot. And as I said, they're playing at home with a perfect record with just losing a game. So they're going to be bloodthirsty to, to win this one. And right now, I think just observationally, I'm, I know we got really high on the eight game winning streak. Kevin Love mentioned that looking at three or four of those games that easily could have swung the other direction and they'd have a losing record right now. Admittedly, our, we were showing our fandom. We were excited. But uh, since then, they have come back down to earth. And now I think some of these teams are enjoying reminding them that this is a long process and uh, they just began it. We have to be patient as well and expect that uh, some of these nights it's just not going to go our way. The Timberwolves game, I thought we were going to have a better shot at competing, but coming in with some of our major players having to set out the game, okay, fine. We were undersized and we lost that one. Uh, it feels like it's just not going to be the right time to, sn- to snap this losing streak. Mitchell and Garland currently have a negative 2.8 net rating when playing on the court together this season. Given that they've only teamed up for a combined 145 minutes, what can the coaches do to unlock these players' potential together on the hardwood moving forward? Well, obviously, they're going to get more playing time together. That will help. 
I think the coaches need to figure out who the supporting cast is really going to be, who that third player is going to be. We know that Allen and Mobley are going to be the other two players, the, the power forward and the center on the floor. I think Levert has performed admirably. He was amazing in the Boston game. He has played well in spurts here and there. He's done really well defensively for Hinton. He's not an elite defender, but he has shown up. He is actually been a pest and stood up to some of these elite small forwards in the NBA. At the same time, I do wonder, and you and I have talked about this, Dean Wade, who's currently hurt, might do a little bit better because he does have that size. He's closer to what Laurie was last year. They might have to rely on Lamar and maybe there's some other player that we're not aware of. Maybe you have Evan play the three defensively a little bit to help. I'm not really sure, but I think to unlock the full potential of the starting lineup, you really need to make sure what's going on with the three allows Darius and Donovan some level of comfort where they can shine. And you mentioned it earlier, Kevin Love has talked about wanting to make sure these players get along, and I think that they will. But I think it's kind of up to these guys to figure out their own needs on the court more than the coaches. The coaches can put them in the right spot. They can have that communication. And it's up to the coaches to make sure that everybody's prepared and talking on the same game plan. But Darius and Donovan are both talented enough that it's really up to them to make sure that they are fully accessing all of the skills and potential when they're on the floor together to unlock this team's offense together because that's what the fans expects that's what the organization expects so they kind of really need to put up or shut up on that level i think <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Cavaliers Basketball Club Podcast. Let's go Cavs!